What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails, done. Outfit, stunner. And my skin, I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Take it away, Robert Evans. Gosh, it could happen here. I did it. Brilliant. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I love I love that. Really. Uh, you're Thank Rob- you. You're, you're Robert Evans. We also have Christopher Wong, Garrison Davis, and we have Andrew here with us. who will be leading this episode. Hi, Andrew. Hello, hello, everyone. How is the weather? <laughs> it's so in, hot in Portland. It is cold. Everywhere else in the continental United States, it is a boiling hellstorm. Yes. Actually, t- t- today today it's only eighty four, but I. Uh, yeah, we, we we have three days where it's barely in the 80s, and then it goes back to being like 97 again. Yeah, it's very it's very exciting. Same with, Lo- same with Los Angeles. I don't understand your temperature measurements, but same, <laughs> oh, same uh... with Los Angeles. It's lovely today. It'll be lovely for the next couple of days, and then we'll be burning. 30, 30, 36. 36 is is 97. It's going to be perfect here forever. Climate change is over in northern Oregon. I have declared it. Well, if you declared it, it must be true. Exactly. <laughs> so today, I uh, want to have a bit of a discussion, an open discussion um, about my favorite kind of discourse, and that is dead discourse. Cool. Uh, I wanted to talk about a discussion, quote unquote, that people have been having a couple of weeks ago about restaurants. And oh, restaurant discourse. This uh, whole idea that people... Uh, Heard about five minutes ago and got super riled up over and sparked a whole bunch of like drama because that's what social media incentivizes. But I figured, you know, we could have a nice round table discussion here about quote unquote restaurant abolition and share our thoughts on the ideas presented in the zine that inspired it, for those of us who read it, Abolish Restaurants by Prolon Info. But first of all, I wanted to share a bit about my experience in the food industry. It was quite brief. And by brief, I mean like four days. Uh, <laughs> I started working at this this winery slash cafe that was um, owned and run by this trust fund baby. And it was very clear that 
she had failed up for most of her life. Um, it was very disorganized and very stressful experience. I quit like a few days after I got it because instead of, you know, making coffees and preparing wines and stuff, I got a job pushing paper in an office, which is only marginally better. And I mean, I don't want to speak over like food service people or anything because like my experience is very limited. But in my own limited experience, it sucked. I mean, my blood turned to water trying to keep up with everything. It was one of those kind of under the table jobs where you don't have a contract or a specific job description. It's just like you're doing everything. So you're sorting and taking out recycling, you're organizing stock, you're making coffee, you're busting tables, you're cashing products, you're handling accounting for some reason. Like, lady, I just got here, but I'm already doing accounting. Um, and so on and so forth. I didn't have an official break either, and I wasn't allowed to sit at all. Um, I mean, my boss said that I could stop for lunch when I needed to, but because of this, these constant like responsibilities she was piling on to me, I basically never got a chance to take a breather. The one time I did take a lunch break, she rushed me out to the lunch break because I was <sighs> taking too long. And um, she was busy taking care of her other real estate and her only consistent customers were her friends. And yet somehow, you know, she kept the doors open and the lights on because, you know, trust fund baby. But yeah, to reiterate, it was a very sucky experience. I, I what about you all? You all had any? Yeah, I worked at a restaurant for... Starting when I was in high school, I was 15 and a half for three or four years, part of college. It made me learn a lot about how awful people are, but it was like you did learn how to work in a team and things like that, helpful skills there, but management was terrible, uh, not exactly easy work, not exactly fun work. Um, yeah, it was like, I, I honestly feel like a lot of people should have to do some type of job like that so that they learn, you know, how to, how to treat people who work in that, in that kind of position. Um, because mostly my memories of it is terrible, horrible customers who just treated people like scum. Yeah. Um, but I needed the job. So, Yeah. Yeah, my only experience in food service was working at a Sonic, not for a crazy long time, but it was terrible. Um, and it left me with an abiding, like, respect for people who have to do that. And uh, uh, I, I, you know, we can talk, we'll talk more about the restaurant thing, but I certainly don't think fast food restaurants are a thing that exists in my ideal future, because oh, I don't God. know how you could possibly operate those without a tremendous amount of human suffering and wasted potential because they're just, they're bad things. Now, that said, any utopian society will have a way to acquire Popeyes, but perhaps <laughs> not at like midnight in every city of the country whenever you want it. You My know? utopian society is a world in which KFC has been abolished and everything else still exists. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> well, well, that's I mean, the episode, everybody. Thank yeah, you that's for the episode. <laughs> Again, this is It Could Happen Here, sponsored like by Carl's Jr. I'm perfectly okay with imperialism, but like... <laughs> I need but some no Wendy's KFC. fries, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep, Andrew, keep the KFC. Look, Andrew, what, what kind yeah. of, like, can I ask, like, what kind of restaurant? I know Robert said his was fast food. Mine was very, like, casual food. What what kind of restaurant did you work at? Right. It wasn't, it was, like, a winery slash cafe. And it also served food. It was, like, attached to a hotel. Got so, it. Oh, yeah. And the ho yeah. the hotel part of it probably made it even Yeah, her worse. parents owned the hotel. And so oh, she... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Chris, Garrett, are either of you either work in the food, food service industry at all? Yeah. I, I worked at a bakery for like a year and a half, mostly back of the house. Um, but I mean, I would, you know, would end up washing washing dishes and taking out recycling and all that kind of stuff but most of my work was designing recipes because i was more on like the food science uh angle uh i don't know yeah i mean it's i have a complicated uh feelings on like cafes specifically i mean i i love anarchist cafes and like the idea yeah. of an anarchist cafe i would love to love to like have one at some point yes it's, like operated by the workers quote-unquote owned by the workers mm -hmm. um 
With a shooting but, range out back. <laughs> but obviously there's... Guns the and buns. Is, we call it guns and buns. You can get a croissant and you can shoot Robert, a, a nine millimeter. if you want to fund my cafe, by all means. I, I, guns and buns can, sounds like the name of like a gym or something. You want, if you want. <laughs> yeah. Andrew's it, absolutely right. It, that sounds gu- like you're a right. gym. Guns and Buns is a breakfast cafe gun range strip club. And apparently a gym. As long as, as, long as you fund it, you can name it whatever you want. Um, but The but people yeah, I mean, will fund it, Garrison. <laughs> obviously, the food service industry has, has yes, a Yes, we'll just make it a cooperative. That makes everything <laughs> yeah, obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Please continue. But yeah, but like the food service industry has a lot of problems. But if I if I were go if I were able to go into a bakery like maybe like two or three times a week to just bake food for people and that helps me live the rest of the week, I would totally do that, right? So like it depends on a lot of factors, but I think so like there's ideas around like an anarchist cafe, worker owned cafe that'd be like totally chill to work at it, to to like be there a few days of the week making food because I enjoy making food, I enjoy baking, I I like food science. Um but you know, when you when start when you start tying that into labor and exploitative labor practices, and the notion of like having to serve other people, then it gets a little bit more tricky, um, and you know, less 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 good. Less cash money, I understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, what's 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 kind of funny about it? Um, I would say is like, God, I lost my train of thought. Uh, go ahead, Robert. Let me just think for a sec. Well, so I mean, one of the things that. I have noticed over the years, because I've had a lot of friends work as bartenders, as waiters and waitresses, There are there's a chunk of people who really like the work. They usually don't like their employer. They often have issues with like their manager or whatever, but like they like their coworkers and they enjoy the the act of like doing restaurant stuff. Um, yeah. I, I, and I know that like, so one of the things that I did recreationally for years is I was go to the, I would go to these regional Burning Man events. And one of the rules there is like everyone pays the same thing to get in. There's no like get, there's no like talent. So there's nobody who's like paid to be there as an act. And there's no like exchange of currency allowed. But there are restaurants. There are people who like bake food and and, and give out yeah. and like make and give out coffee. There's there's multiple bars. And a number of the people I knew who were like the most who would spend the most of their time, which is again totally their own at these events, volunteering as bartenders. We're people who worked as bartenders and we're like, look, I like yeah. serving drinks. I hate a lot of what goes along with being in a bar, but I enjoy making and serving drinks. Absolutely. There was this one really cool dude out in the middle. Of, he was out because it's a spread out over acres of woodlands. There was just this guy I found one night alone in the woods at like a podium sized little booth lit up bar he'd made. <laughs> and he was like, look, I am a very good bartender. What I do not like is making the same things every night for drunk people who don't know anything about a good mixed drink. So you and I are going to have like a five minute conversation and then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to make you <laughs> based on like, yeah. And it yeah, was yeah, fucking yeah. dope. Yeah. It was yeah. really cool. Like that. Oh, yeah, More I, stuff yeah. like that. More like restaurant pop-ups that are like those types of things are, are just are divorced from like this notion of like, you know, being served by a lower class member of society instead it's people like sharing actual interests that they have and they're not obligated to be there or else they get you know or, or else they're not able to pay their rent right there's lots of things in, like a utopian society where we like yeah i would totally be down with doing some some kind of you know some kind of thing related to giving food to other people or preparing food or you know drink like mixed drinks uh, uh i i i like making uh, coffee a lot like espresso and shit um so like I can totally see that, but right now you know it's just a totally different field um, by and large for most people in you know the food service industry, and it sucks. Yeah. To work in the, and by by and large, it really yeah. sucks to work in the food service industry. Yeah, the food service industry is one of the most exploitative industries in the country. That said, the idea of gathering in public to consume food and beverages is fundamental to human beings. And we're never yeah. not going to have that as societies. So there has to be ways in which to have versions of that. And again, probably not the every 10 minutes you get the same three fast food restaurants that are open all night. That probably, that definitely does not exist in an ideal society. But in any any better society, human beings will gather to eat and drink around each other because it's something we've done in every civilization that has ever existed. So, exactly. Andrew, do you, do, do you want to talk a bit more about the actual zine? Because I, I feel like a lot of people's yeah. discourse around the zine is not about the zine itself. It's about what the title of the zine is. 
Yeah, because people, people right. should read the actual zine. If you read it, it makes very reasonable yeah. arguments. Um, the title is just intentionally provocative. Um, so yeah. And what I've realized about intentionally pro- provocative slogans is that the people who who want to get it, you know, they they tend to be drawn into those kinds of things. And then there's some people who see something provocative and it kind of shuts them down. Yes, yes. Some people see it, see something so provocative and see it's like, hmm, I want to learn more. And then other people see it and they have like kind of a gut reaction to it. It's like, it's like the backfire effect type thing. Yeah. So, I mean, to get into kind of the history of it and just the idea of restaurants as, as the zine explores. According to the discourse, a restaurant is just a place to eat. If you sit down in the middle of a desert with a table and a chair and you eat something, that's apparently a restaurant. That's not a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> that is not a restaurant, but okay. <laughs> the definition of a restaurant is a place where people pay to sit and eat meals that are cooked and served on the premises. Okay. Commerce is a part of the definition of a restaurant. Yeah. Why do we universalize and naturalize things that are neither? That is my question. It's like what people do with the state or with capitalism or with police or gender. I mean, just like those things, the restaurant is an invention. But it's been crystallized and, and induced into our minds as something that is eternal, that is natural, that is universal. You know, when, when Kronk brought his buddy Brock a piece of chicken. That was a restaurant. <laughs> you know, it's like we take, <laughs> we take these things that come from very specific modern capitalist context and we stretch them out over the entire human experience. If you look into the history of restaurants, the first restaurants began to appear in Paris in the 1760s. Even as late as the 1850s, majority of the restaurants in the world were located in Paris. And I mean... For those who know a little bit about history, Paris is kind of an interesting place where a lot of things happen. Especially, especially during that rough time that period. span. <laughs> yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Exactly. I mean, elsewhere around the world, communal meals were quite common. People cooked communally and they ate communally and there were no restaurants. Specifically, before the invention of restaurants in, in, in Paris, around Europe at least, rich people had servants who cooked for them. Travelers had inns where their meal was included with the price of the room, and they ate for the innkeeper and his family. And peasants, they ate their meals at home. And of course, there were also caterers for events and special occasions, and there were taverns and wineries and cafes and bakeries for certain foods and drinks. Of course, later on, all of those things, the taverns, the wineries, the cake, the cafes and the bakeries, after restaurants came about, those other institutions started to shape and bend into the sort of the mold of the restaurant that was established. Restaurant, based on the name of it, um, comes from this, this idea that they were meant to restore health to sick people. Restaurant. Restaurant. Right? And they used to serve these small meat stews. So by, by, that, by that metric, Taco Bell cannot be a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would argue that it is the only restaurant. <laughs> It's well. It's gonna restore bowel movement if you have any kind of blockage. <laughs> that, that that it will restore that. But mm-hmm. besides that, I cannot. I can do not think it's gonna restore anything. Yeah, Taco Bell is probably something like a laxatant. <laughs> 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 you know, but um, yeah. So why France? Why Paris? Why restaurants? It kind of occurred after the food craft guilds were abolished by the revolution. It was like this attempt to kind of democratize the food industry, you know, liberty, galette, fraternité, hon, 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 all that jazz. <laughs> and so, so restaurants kind of began springing up because all these former cooks of the now beheaded king and aristocrats, they wanted to work somewhere. Sure, yeah. And so, you know, in a restaurant, you could get a meal at any time the business was open. Anyone with money could get a meal. The customers would come and they would eat at individual tables, eat individual plates and bowls of food. They get to choose from another option, a number of options. And they grew in size and complexity as they went along. They got a fixed menu. And, and eventually, one beautiful like said, day, we invented the Baconator. 
Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That is the end. Is Fun the end fact: the Baconator <laughs> was the first burger I had when I went to the US. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. I would apologize, but this country's done so much worse than that. <laughs> One hundred seven <laughs> fun facts about Andrew. Yeah, you, you know it's a little thing to tune in and you get a little new fact that you could, I don't know, add to my Wikia page or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was mid. Honestly, my brother makes better boogers. Yeah, but that's besides, that makes, that makes that's besides the point. Yeah, um, ne- nearly every burger that you can get at a fast food restaurant is is mid. Yeah, TGI Fridays had some good re- burgers though. Now, but so TGI kind of Fridays a place to have a burger. That is the place when you're in a town you've never been before. That's where you want to just show up and get absolutely shit house drunk until two a.m. with like a bunch of strangers at the TGI Fridays bar, which is the boulevard of broken dreams. Like it's <laughs> only people who can't hack it in a regular bar and weirdos traveling through town. I love a TGI Fridays bar. <laughs> okay. I was not aware of that stereotype. I mean, there's a TGI here in Trinidad, and um, <laughs> I mean, last time I knew they had like some kind of karaoke thing going on. But yeah, it's probably the the vibe. I haven't been too many times. Anyway, I think this is enough product placement for for one episode. <laughs> I think we're, well, we're, we're speaking, really shouting out of- a lot of different. Speaking Please, of yeah. product placement, here's ads. Sure, why not? Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM, let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at High5Casino.com. High Five Casino. 
So the growth of the restaurant came the growth of the market. With the growth of the restaurant came the growth of the market. Needs that were, you know, fulfilled either through a direct relationship of domination, like between a lord or a king and his servants, or a private relationship, like within the family, they were now being fulfilled on the open market. What was once a direct oppressive relationship now became the relationship between buyer and seller. Now became an indirect oppressive relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, a, a diffused oppressive relationship almost. Because no one person, I would say, could really carry the blame. A similar expansion of the market took place over a century later with the rise of fast food. Because as the 1950s housewife was on her way out, you know, being undermined, and as in women started to move into the open labor market, many of the tasks that were done by women traditionally were being transferred onto the market. Not to say that women still don't do the majority of care work um, in modern society, but as women started moving into the office, into the workplace, things started to shift with regard to eating and eating patterns. Now, the important point to note is that, of course, you know, the whole woman moving to the workplace thing is kind of a white woman phenomenon because, you know, people of color, women of color were in workplaces before then in large numbers. Yeah. And, and there's there's a thing I think it's important to note here, too, which is like par- part of what's happening here is that like some of the care labor that white women were doing gets transferred onto non-white women. And this, this is, this has been one of the things yeah. that like, I, I think we, we talked about this a long time ago in an interview I did with it, with a nurse, but like, like for, for example, you see this with healthcare a lot where like a, a lot of like union workers get these, get, you know, they get really good healthcare plans from the unions, but those healthcare plans are basically subsidized by not paying women of color like shit. And there's this whole sort of like trend around this of sort of like, like you can, you know, if 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 you're rich, if you're rich enough, you you can escape housework, but you escape housework by essentially thrusting it on someone on someone else who's like further down the social ladder than you. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a form of that um, that phenomenon people have been talking about the the idea of choice feminism, as in any choice that a woman make that a woman makes is part of the feminist sort of movement. So I saw some discourse happening recently where people are talking about. Um, how a woman should have a right if she's a housewife that she should still be able to, you know, pursue her interests, which is of course agreed. And the solution being proposed to that was that the man, the breadwinner, would pay for a domestic servant to come and work for the woman so that she can pursue her other responsibilities. Her other interests and, and desires. And so it's just kind of this Perfect. What a close externalizing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because then this woman is working away from her family. And then, you know, it's just like this is a it's a messed up system. But yes, so as fast food restaurants began to grow rapidly, people began being paid wages for what used to be housework. And of course, as we know, capitalism could not exist without the billions of dollars of unpaid labor that women perform on a yearly basis. Modern restaurants obs- emerged in the 19th century under specific conditions. They had to be businessmen with capital to invest in restaurants. They had to be customers who expected to satisfy their need for food on the open market by buying it. And they had to be workers with no way to live, but by working for someone else. As these conditions developed, as capitalism developed, so did restaurants. And so at the root of this whole abolish restaurants discourse needs to be an understanding of where restaurants came from, their historical development. You cannot take them in isolation and project them, like I said, across all of humanity. Because it's only through understanding it through its specific circumstances that we can transform it as we transform society as a whole. As we were saying, you know, there's a lot of things that are hell about restaurants. The way that work comes in like waves and rushes, a lot of slow time in between. We're either really stressed out or you're really bored. I remember working there at the winery and like for most of the day, I just have to be like, 
shifting around bottles on the shelves. I couldn't sit down and chill or be on my phone or anything. I just had to busy myself until a customer came. And customers never came yeah. because it was a failed business propped up only by her parents' money. But um, Did you ever get told the phrase, if you can lean, you can clean? Not in, not in those exact words. Yeah. <laughs> yes, in those exact words. God, and every fucking manager who <laughs> says it to you thinks that, like, it's their cool line. Oh, fuck it. Anyway. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to just, you have this, this constant thing of trying to look busy while having not, nothing to do. Or you try not to fall behind because you have 10 things to do. Yeah. Everyone's always working harder and faster. And of course, the boss wants to squeeze as much work out of the same number of people out uh, as possible, you know? Like you're pushing people to these ridiculous extremes, which is why it's a kind of stereotype now of like restaurant workers all being on drugs, you know? There's also this whole inhumanity to like employees being paid in tips. Now, as far as I know, nowhere is that as severe as it is in the US. Um, but of course, around the world, there are tipping cultures of varying degrees. And so when you have that sort of work where you're, you're, you're living, your subsistence is so directly tied to like tips, not only do you have this sort of divide being created between the workers, between like, for example, the waiters who make the tips and the cooks who don't make any tips. And they, just, they sort of had to compete against each other because the waiter is trying to get as much done as possible so they can make their tips quickly, so they can have their, you know, quick service, whereas the cooks, they have no intrinsic motivation to push themselves harder. And so yeah, it just becomes I never, stressful. I, 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 never, I never got tips from baking in the back of the house unless some of the people in front of the house would, like, share the tips at the end of the day by their own, like, volition. Yeah, and I, I know folks who worked in places where all tips were shared with the the kitchen staff, and it seemed to be a 50-50 breakdown of this is really good and everyone gets paid fairly, and this is actually some scam by management to deny people a bunch of tips by like pooling them and the certain fuckery that gets done. So like, it's like any formulation of this inherently winds up being pretty abusive. Yeah. And dividing, you know, another interesting, and I mean, as you guys mentioned, stressful component about, you know, this line of work is of course the customers, which, <laughs> Customer service people in general tend to eat. You know, whether you're working at a bar or you're working at a, you know, a restaurant or even working in like sales in some sort of like retail store. Their whole subreddit is dedicated to how terrible customers are to workers. And so that, that sort of dynamic of service, it, it, it really changes people i mean customers can just as easily be working class as the people working in the restaurant but there's still that dynamic that's created when you are the one being seated and served and the other person yeah. is on their feet serving you some of the worst customers in america at least are uh working class and poorer folks who it's like their chance to be above somebody like when yeah, they go out yeah, to yeah. a restaurant so they yeah. can be extra shitty yeah that, that is the thing I mean, that happens surprisingly they're even like <laughs> restaurant workers who treat restaurant workers badly when they go to a restaurant uh, yeah exactly yeah exactly. yes it's like someone gets the opportunity to be <laughs> to, to to exert the power and they're like do it in this short 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 amount of time but although i will say i'm sure those are also the restaurant workers who treat people badly at the restaurant they work at <laughs> <laughs> including yeah, like some of the workers some of the yeah. worst things that have ever been said to me were by customers at the restaurant job i had yeah, yeah, yeah not, not surprising like, no and i was like not i was like i was like in high school i was a kid and these were like grown-ups being horrendous so. Like I, I think I think it's like I don't know like when people talk about this like when people talk about restaurants like in, in the discourses it, it's it's in a way that's like it's incredibly abstract and doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't 
think about the fact that like the, the relationship between the customer and the people who have to interact with the customers, the house, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, that is a social relation. And it's a social relation that like, that like, like the, the, the power dynamic inherent to it ascribes sort of different kinds, like it ascribes different kinds of behavior to the people who are like, who are like on either side of it. it like it, 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 cont- it controls like what you have to do as a server, like what the, the sort of performances you have to give, like the smile you have to put on, which is actually like, that's the original thing of what emotional labor is right it's like the the labor you have to do to make the person who you're serving like think that you're like happy and enjoying it and like having a good time but then you know like, on, on the customer's end too it's like you get this sort of you know it's like oh this is your one chance to to be on top of a sort of power relation and like that like that like that specific thing is so fucking evil it's like there, there there's there's a story i think about a lot from reddit and Chuang originally it was it was about um like one one of the last emperors of the Tang Dynasty, like his his concubine like loved Leecha and like okay I get it it's Leecha that it gets really good but like Leecha's grown <laughs> Leecha's only grown in this in the south of China you can't really grow it in the north it just doesn't like it's too cold it's too arid and so in order to get her Leecha like every morning they would send like the fastest riders like in China would like be sent by horse like to southern China and then back so that they could get the Leecha there in time like for for it still to be like ripe and like edible. And you know that that's the kind that's the kind of power that used to only literally the emperor of China had this ability, right? Like the like the emperor of fucking China could get this commodity and f- like force everyone in a chain to go do this thing for them. And now like everyone has that like literally everyone has that power. Like every time you use Amazon, you have that power. Every time you go to a restaurant, yeah. you have the power to do this. And it it turns people into monsters because like that's you know like, <laughs> like the Chinese emperors are like. Yeah. These are some of the worst people who've ever lived. Now, like everyone, everyone, like you, just like like the fundamental basis of the society is there is a place where you can go and you can become the emperor of fucking China. Maybe and it there's is a the problem worst. with the idea of instant gratification being reliant on the exploitation of other people. Yeah, and and like yeah, and, and that doesn't that seem we, right, Garrison. No, oh yeah, like, that, <laughs> never mind. It's horrifying. Don't worry. Now, watch me as I order next day delivery on a sixteen hundred dollar drone just to. Just to fuck around in my backyard, like yes, it's it's everything is fine in America. I I do I am like of the opinion that the grocery store is like the primary artistic achievement of capitalism as a system. Um, they are objectively marvels, um, and they're they're built on a river of blood deeper and wider than is is. It's like it's a hyper object, right? It's like impossible yeah. to to comprehend the full scale of cruelty that goes into being able to like. Well, it is November 14th. I'm going to go get a fresh bag of grapes that have been genetically modified to taste like <laughs> cotton candy. <laughs> yeah. Picked by people making cents an hour in yes. in a country that's on the other side of the world. Yeah. Yes, whose relatives are shot for attempting to scramble over the border. Yeah. Yeah. That the grapes pass through easily. Yes. <laughs> and and I, th- I think like like that, that points to an, another, like, I think part of the dynamics of with restaurants that happens, which is that like, Okay, like cooking takes time, right? And the the less and less time that you have, the more like the the more reliant you become on yeah. like on these services. And so you see this with like you know like China has like a like a particularly horrible like delivery culture. Like you can like you can have someone deliver food to you like to the train like a, like a, a, a sub like a train will stop at a stop, and you can have someone run a bag of food to you. And then like leave and you just like you go to the next stop and you get off. And that happens because everyone's working nine nine six. And so it's like, okay, you're working seven you're working nine AM to nine PM six six days a week. And you know, you don't you literally do not have time to cook because you're working you're working twelve hours a day. And this an, another like, good example of this is like restaurant re- people who work restaurants, like line cooks and chefs hardly ever cook for themselves. They always yeah. get food from other restaurants because they're cooking eight to ten hours a day they're not going to go home then cook for themselves they they it's like yeah it's it is this system almost it makes it makes the things that prop it up become necessary to keep the whole thing going it's all like balancing super like precariously on its own weight it's it's equivalent to like if you're in a criminal syndicate making somebody you're working with tangentially shoot a man in the back of the head so that you both have blood on your hands. <laughs> like everyone is everyone like just by, by virtue of existing under it, like, like if you're working 60 hours a week, 
as a fucking nurse during COVID or as a fucking line cook dealing with this surge of delivery shit. And then on your way home, you just want to pick up some like sushi from a fucking uh, grocery store that requires ingredients from all around the world and is made by people who are not getting enough money to, to make it and is horrible for the environment and the fisheries and all that kind of shit. Um, and but like, what are you supposed to do? Like you, you just you just finished like a 10 hour shift. Like, do you not deserve like one one nice thing at the end of the day? Like, if, like so it's if you. People can't like either you become an like a, a complete aesthetic, right? And and reject and, and go kind of Ted K and live in a shack in Montana and reject all of these these kind of modern conveniences, or you accept that like you're gonna spend some time wading into the river of blood because otherwise the things you have to do to stay alive in this society are completely emotionally unsustainable. Yeah, like, and th th this this was the original like before it kind of became this cop out for like just doing whatever you want but, like this was the original there's no ethical consumption under capitalism yeah. it was about this was about like this specific problem that ev everything in this society like e even even if you're fucking living in the woods in montana it's like yeah like where 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 did where like where, where did your cabin come from like where did your nails come from who made the hammer it's like everyone's like completely dependent for everything on the exploitation of other people and it, it is it is a yeah i mean the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope is when andrew was explaining how like Restaurants came arise because of pe people who used to like work for kings and shit, who then started working at restaurants because they still wanted to make food. It was like that evolution, taking it to the next step, is people who work at restaurants now no longer having to work under capitalist exploitation and realizing, hey, I know how to cook well. I'll just set up like ways to feed the community outside of this system of commerce, right? That is the next evolution. If you start with people, pe pe people cooking for the king, people then cooking in places where you pay to eat in this exploitative system, and then people cooking for people so that there's food around in a, like a community setting, right? If you, if you follow yeah. that trajectory, that's actually kind of hopeful. It's almost um, like we've come full circle. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, yeah. It's like, right? It's, if, we're, if we just go back to like being Communal places... Eating. Yeah, like communal eating. If there's places around different communities, different towns, different like urban centers that have that have the capacity to feed people who are not able to cook cook, cook for themselves that night or that day. Yeah, that's something that if if it's there is ways of setting that up, which I can see being so much better than how restaurants work. You know, yeah, maybe like maybe people wash their own dishes afterwards. Maybe people do something to help with like prep or something, right? Like there's 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 ways to make this that gives you the parts of restaurants that are actually really convenient um without the exploitation. And so that that type of like community cooking is something. I mean, you know, that's even similar to like how like a good dinner party operates. Um just that kind of extended out across, you know, more of like a pop-up setting and say, hey, yeah, this this month we're using all of these ingredients that are grown in our general local area, right? We're not getting shipped. We're not getting like strawberries in December shipped from halfway around the world. We'll make stuff that is available um, as it, you know, as it's grown yeah. or we can pickle, we can store food, right? And like, Yeah, and maybe we, we've, ter we've turned the old defunct Walmart into a grow shelter. So once or twice during the winter, there are some strawberries and everybody comes together and shares this marvel that the community came, like worked as a team to ensure would be available. But you can't just go and buy four pounds of strawberries that are produced with their, like twice the weight of the strawberries and pesticide in order to keep them alive in fields that were never meant to grow strawberries. Like maybe that's not a available all year round like yep yeah yeah baseball fans bet mgm is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season step into the batter's box for bet swing for the fences free to play game Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM, let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off, no dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all natural bitters, so dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Let's get back to the point being raised about uh, about like electrical consumption and capitalism because that's a really important point. The whole purpose of that saying has been bastardized, but it really is crucial to have a nuanced understanding of it. What frustrates me is that it's been taken and it's been turned into this justification. Like, yeah. oh, it's okay that I buy from Shein. It's okay that I buy a $3,000 haul from Shein because... No ethical consumption of capitalism. Where it's like where somebody goes and they engage in something that is not I a mean, necessity. Look, that is, Andrew, you're talking around my two and a half pound a day veal habit, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a that's problem. Like, that's like something Joe Rogan not said. So like, I eat two and a half pounds of veal every day, and that keeps my brain running smoothly. Look, Caveman I mean, only look, it, ate it, it real out for Jordan Peterson, so I mean, yeah, exactly, it did work for Jordan Peterson. He's doing great. <laughs> Cries at the mere notion of Antifa. <laughs> I would do an impression, but it'll hurt my throat. So moving on. <laughs> Thus, I would say. I would say that, as we were saying, you know, that there really is is potential. We see even under these conditions that, that people find ways to survive. You know, they create like these informal work groups that are not only able to come together and push back against management, but able to work together to, to create trust within each other. You know, you have like, for example, waiters who would try a hand in the kitchen on a slow day or a cleaner or who might pick up a thing or two, a dishwasher who's trying to move up to become like a, a line cook. All these different workers, they, 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 they do things subtly to try to undermine the unnatural divisions and hierarchies and between the skilled and unskilled. Um, in the restaurant setting. Of course, it doesn't always work because there are, you know, settings where the manager successfully created divisions, you know, whether it be the manager creating a division between um, teen different nationalities of, of immigrants or, you know, 
playing upon someone's queer phobia uh, against like queer staff or someone's biases against I don't know I can't think of a third example but there are ways that managers try to like sow these divisions between workers and there are ways that workers try to push back there are also ways that managers try to do the opposite to create a community within the restaurant that includes themselves so instead of fostering isolation and prejudice they create a community that especially in small restaurants that involves them that talks about that you know the boss might share with them how difficult it is working and organizing for the business of the restaurant and or they might create like a special kind of restaurant focused on their identity so they might create a restaurant for for queer youth where all the staff are queer or you, you know you have a restaurant for you know a black-owned restaurant where all the workers are black and try to create a community based on this identity. But it kind of erases the unavoidable class interests between workers and with, and management. It, it smooths over that dimension. So it becomes more difficult to organize and to speak up for your rights because you're, you're, you're aware that the manager is a human and they too are struggling. Which kind of brings me to the idea of restaurants with no managers and the idea of cooperatives. The issue with cooperative restaurants is that they basically have to collectively take on the role of managers, managing themselves, creating those pressures and pushing those pressures upon themselves. They enforce the work on each other and they, they have to work longer in some cases and work harder in some cases because the structure of a restaurant is designed to make money and if it is not making money then everybody loses their job so due to this pressure a boss is in a position where they have to push workers to get as much out of the workers as possible you raise the boss from the occasion from the equation but you keep the rest of the concept of a restaurant and the line between worker and boss becomes blurred to the extent where it's almost like that image of a person with a boot on their hand holding a boot on their head. Where this oppression that was once external becomes internalized because that is how a restaurant survives, through oppression, through exploitation. It's kind of like with how self-employed people are under capitalism yes you're working for yourself and you have some freedom in that regard but you're still restricted by the broader system you haven't escaped it you've just had to navigate it and i have to make quarterly payments to the irs (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean most of us here i think work for ourselves in some capacity or have a certain level of freedom and it um you still have those pressures and on like, it's just you have to inflict them on yourself. You know, you don't have like a, a break that has been mandated. And so at least in my case, I don't take breaks because that's just how I am. You know, you work longer hours, you push yourself harder and harder. You work on days when you should be resting and it's just, it illustrates the fact that liberation is not to be found under this system. And it's something totally new with a totally different metric of success, a totally different metric of sustenance, totally different bare minimum and totally different motivation it needs to be the foundation upon which society is built because there's profiting now we can. Yeah, and and I think there's a like I think the reason this debate happens, like this this whole discourse happened in the first place was just that like like just the it, like a lot of it really was just a complete inability to imagine like literally any other way of like even just like like any other way of getting food that does not involve you going to a place and telling someone to make it for you. And like that, I don't know, like 
Yeah. It's, I don't know, like, the, the, the fact that there have already been sort of seismic shifts in the way that, like, food production happens, right, I think is evidence of, like, no, we don't have to do it like that. Like, we just, we just do not. It, it wasn't like this for most of human history. We could do something better than whatever they were doing before it. Yeah. A lot of people might, you know, wish for, like, in this... So let's just shift over into the abolition section of it, the restaurant abolition. A lot of people look to, for example, a union as a path by which in the short term, you know, we make certain gains and long term, we can take over and radically transform it. The difficulty comes in how unions have traditionally operated in the restaurant sphere. They tend to be significantly less successful. I mean, restaurants usually have very high turnover. People only last a couple of months. Um, they often employ like a lot of young people who are just looking for part-time or temporary employment. A lot of people who do work there are constantly looking to move on to better things. And so it makes it difficult to create a stable union with a stable membership that can buckle down and really negotiate and push for the interests of the people working because people working are constantly changing. I, th I think one of the, like one of the really grim things this led to is that like, like, especially when fast food took over, like the, the, the major unions that even do exist, which is like, now nah, we like, we're just not going to bother even trying to organize these people because they just assumed it was impossible. And so like, there are, there are very, very few fast food unions. I mean, like, I think one of the only like even sort of functional ones is uh, the IWW like organized Burgerville, but that's that's been like it. Like the like the the big unions when they've done campaigns for fast food workers, it's like it'll be something like Fight for Fifteen, but it's like they're not actually trying to like form unions of these restaurant workers. Like they don't they're they're not even trying. They're just trying to they're they're using them for sort of like lobbying and advocacy. Yeah. And the difficulty also comes when a union is established itself, you know, because a union structurally is not always by all the workers. You know, there's still sort of a hierarchy of bureaucracy that may establish itself and try to maintain itself, even if it starts off benignly. No, just for all of the radical history that unions do have, quite a few unions in the United, particularly in the United States, have also been conservative bastions and bastions of different attitudes about like stuff like white supremacy. You know, there's there's a lot. The union movement is as much Blair Mountain as it is trying to stop black people from being able to work on trains. You know, like all of those things are part of the history. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll speak briefly on like the union situation in in the Caribbean, particularly in Trinidad. The trade union movement was intrinsically, inextricably tied with the anti-colonial movement and the movement for independence. The issue became that the unions became tied up with the political parties that arose after independence and, well, during the process of independence. What ended up happening with the unions was that they ended up being tied to deeply with the political parties that ended up being that the established unions are, you know, the higher ups in those established unions, they have these relationships of favors and obligations with the politicians. A lot of politicians come out of these union movements and end up establishing their own political careers. And because it's all so tied up when, you know, workers get into these industries that do have union, that have been unionized, there's a very clear separation between the union and the workers. Because while the union is able to, you know, push for the workers' rights and, you know, they're still separate from the workers. The, the union still exists as a no negotiator between the workers and the management. And so even if the workers wish to go beyond just negotiating, the union exists almost as a release valve for any sort of class antagonist, so any kind of pressure, any kind of real pressure against the status quo. I mean, 
it's not just unique to, to Trinidad or to the Caribbean. I mean, it's globally, across history, we've seen union struggles kind of go over the same sort of dynamic. You know, new generations of workers, they build up the movements, they build up the unions, and then the unions begin to change. And perhaps new union leaders spring up to replace the old union leaders. When put under the same position, under the same pressures, they react in the same way. And so the bureaucracy ends up being rejuvenated. Unions are reformed and they end up going back to the same old ways that they had been before. And in some cases, the fight to reform the union takes the place of the fight against the boss because of all the bureaucracy and system of obligations and just deeply rooted ideas about the place of the union. Because while unionizing is a difficult process, union leaders do tend to enjoy certain benefits from their position. And as we are aware of, you know, certain hierarchies are self-justifying. Those at the top tend to want to perpetuate it. It's kind of like, and so this idea that, and this is just kind of an unsettled thought of mine, but it's kind of like the idea of, you know, using the state to establish workers' power and then abolishing it afterwards. You know, using the union to get some measure of workers' power, but then expecting this union of a certain structure that exists toward negotiating ends to somehow push in these sort of more radical directions. There's a saying that that um that the zine um the writers of the zine say it's like Restaurant unions need there to be restaurants, and we don't. I think that sort of applies more broadly because when we get into like the whole idea of like work abolition, it's just concept of workers are people outside of work, but a workers union exists within the confines of work as we understand it. And so I think that's where the difficulty lies. The zine goes on to say later on that every time we attack the system, but we don't destroy it, it changes. And in turn changes us and the terrain of the next fight. Gains are turned against us and we are stuck back in the same situation at work. The bosses try to keep us looking for individual solutions or solutions within an individual workplace or an individual trade. But the only way that we can free ourselves is to broaden and deepen our fight. We involve workers from other workplaces, other industries, and other regions. We attack more and more fundamental things. The desire to destroy restaurants becomes the desire to destroy the conditions that create restaurants. We aren't just fighting for representation in or control over the production process. Our fight isn't against the act of chopping vegetables or washing dishes or pouring beer or even serving food to other people. It is with the way all of these acts are brought together in a restaurant separated from other acts, become part of the economy, and are used to expand capital. The starting and ending point of this process is a society of capitalists and people forced to work for them. We want an end to this. We want to destroy the production process as something outside and against us. We're fighting for a world where our productive activity fulfills a need and is an expression of our lives, not forced on us in exchange for a wage. A world where we produce for each other directly and not in order to sell to each other. The struggle of restaurant workers is ultimately for a world without restaurants or workers. And I mean, so I think people are still going to call some alternatives to restaurants, restaurants anyway. Probably. But I hope this discussion has caused people to kind of deepen their approach to this issue. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Yahoo! 
private. Put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, guys? This is Sean, Lights Out Merriman. And Saturday, June 15th, Lights Out Extreme Fighting 17 returns to Casino Palma in San Diego. Get your tickets now at lightsoutxf.com. And we'll be live on Lights Out Sports TV, available on all major platforms. Doors open at 5 p.m. Pacific. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be Lights Out. Lights Out Sports is free sports TV by athletes for fans. For details about the event and tickets, go to lightsoutxf.com. Happy Pride. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. I'm here to tell you about Lambda Legal. For more than 50 years, Lambda Legal has been in court protecting the civil rights of LGBTQ plus people and everyone living with HIV. And the good news is you can help. Support Lambda Legal's work by donating this Pride Month. Throughout June, all donations up to $100,000 will be matched. To donate, go to lambdalegal.org. That's L-A-M-B-D-A legal.org. Help Lambda Legal remain unstoppable.